0: Hare Krishna, good morning to everybody, including all of you who are listening in online or by radio or telephone. We thank you very much for coming and making this part of your day. We're coming to you from the Radha Kalachanji Palace in Dallas, Texas. And we know that there are some of you who are listening in at other places throughout the world and we especially welcome you here. But for those of you who are local, that's also very good. We're glad to have you with us this morning. We know that it's not possible for everybody to come to the Srimad Bhagavatam discourse in the morning because of other responsibilities and obligations. My name is Rupan Nogadas. I'm a disciple of His Holiness Tamal Krishna Goswami Maharaj who is a disciple of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. I'm following, following in the wake of our, our, our wonderful devotee here in this community, Mother Jai Sriradhyay, who gave a very excellent class yesterday on the Srimad Bhagavatam. And she was reading, as we have been, from the first canto, chapter 4 of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So this morning I'll continue that reading. And since she spoke on text number 14 yesterday, I'll be speaking on text number 15. So that's canto 1, chapter 4, text number 15. If you have your copy close to you, or if you can dial up vedabase.com or .org, on the internet, Uh, then you may join us for the reading. And before we begin, we will have our usual invocation to the Supreme Lord for His blessings and His presence with us.
1: Jaya Ratha Mata Vakumja Jai Gopi Janda Vallabha Girivaradharin Jai Gopi Janda Vallabha Girivaradharin Jashura nanda Ranjana brajjanar anjana. Ranjana nanda Yamunati Tiravanda Charim Jaya Madhava Nitai Gaur
0: Praimananda Hari Hari Bho Jayom Om Vishnupad Paramahansa Parivitaka Charja Hasto Tadasata Shri Srimadha's Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Geek Jayom Om Vishnupad Paramahamsa Parivitaka Charja Hasto Tadasata Shri Srimadha's Divine Grace Srila Sidanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Geek Anantakoti Vaishnavrinda ki jai. Iskan BBT founder of Charja ki jai. Iskan Guru Parampara ki jai. Rup Shi Sanatan Bhattaraganath Shijiva Gopal Bhattadasaraganath Sadko Sami ki jai namacharja Shilharidas stakur ki jai Prainshiko Sri Krishna-caitanya-pravodityanda-si-at-vaita-gadadha-si-vasradi-goda-bhakta-bhrin-ki-jai, ki shri shishi radha krishna gopah gopinath samakun radhakun gitigovidan ki jai Shri Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai Shri Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai Shri Mayapur Navadvit Dhamma Ki Jai Shri Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Shri Radha Kalachanji Dhamma Ki Jai Ganga Devi Ki Jai Kijai, Ki Jai Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Samaveda Bakta Vrind Ki Jai Brihat Madanga, Transcendental Book, Prasadam Distribution, Ki Jai, Nittai Golda Premananda, Hari, Hari Bo. All glories to the Asama awesome Devotees, Hari Krishna. All glories to the Asama awesome Devotees, Hari Krishna. All glories to the Asama awesome Devotees, Hari Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Namon, Vishnabhadaya, Krishna Pastaya, Bhutale, Srimati, Bhakti, Vedanta, Swamini, Namane, Namaste, Satisvati, Deve, Godavani, Pacharine, Nibishesh, Shinavadi, Pastatade, Shatarine, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Gent, Canto 1, beg your pardon, Canto 1, Chapter 4. Text number 15. This chapter is entitled, The Appearance of Sri Narada, the great sage amongst the demigods, known as Devadeva. Uh, Let's see, before we begin. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om namo bhagavate Vasudevaya narayanam namaskritya, naram chayvanorotamam devin sarasvatim, yasundato jayam adhira yet, nityam bhagavata se vaya, bhagavati ottamash loke bhakti bhavadinastiki, kantara bhagavatam ki jai, This is one of our three most important literatures that we read in the Hare Krishna movement, Srimad Bhagavatam. What is your name, Prabhu? What is your name? Arnold. Arnold, Arnold, nice to have you here with us this morning. Are you living in Dallas? Okay, very good. So, text number 15. And we'll read this as poetry in the original Sanskrit. Sakadachit Sarasvatya Upa Upasprisya Jalam Suchi Vivita eka Asina Urite Ravimandale Sakadachit Sarasvatya Upasprisya Jalam Suchi. Vivikta ekasina Udite ravi mandale. And one more time Sakarachit Satasvatya Upas Prisya Jalam Shuchi. Vivicta ekasina Udite rav mandali. That's Udite ravi mandale. Good. So, word for word translation, repeat with me, please. sa he, Kadachit, once, Satisvatya, Sarasvat- on the bank of the Satisvati, Upasprisya. After finishing morning ablutions, jalam water, shuchi being purified, vivite concentration, ekah alone, asina being thus seated, udite on the rise. Ravi Mandalay of the Sun Disc. And this is the translation and a short purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada Gijai. Once upon a time, He, Vyasadeva, as the sun rose, took His morning ablution in the waters of the Saraswati and sat alone to concentrate. So let's let's uh, read this if you will repeat it with me once upon a time he Vyasadev, as the sun rose took his morning ablution in the waters of the saraswati and sat alone to concentrate and this is the purport or the explanation given by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. The water Satasvati is flowing in the Bhadarika area of the Himalayas. So the place indicated here is Samyaprasa in Bhadarika where Srila Vyasadeva is residing. So this is a very short purport. And we usually choose our topic for giving a discourse on the Srimad Bhagavatam from the text and from the purport. But both are very short. And nonetheless, I'm going to try to speak just a little bit on uh, a topic that I've chosen from the text and the purport. And this is the matter of choosing one's space. Anybody who is interested in any kind of um, um, discipline, any kind of spiritual discipline, is interested in meditation, going within. And so choosing one's own space to have that meditation is a really important topic to many of us. So, um, the first, first thing I want to talk about a little bit is, is seeking a solitary space, our place. Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is something that we all have to do if we want to be successful in any kind of meditation. So we read about uh, isolated sanctuaries that are located in places scattered across the planet. Some of those are located in the desert, some like the desert of the southwestern United States. Some of them are located in uh, in uh, rocky hilly places, uh, such as the uh, the hills of North Dakota and South Dakota, um, where some Indian uh, Native Americans have their reservations and that's where some of them live in these areas which are which are rather isolated compared to the big urban centers like our dallas and fort worth community Um, and then there are others that are located in the mountainous regions um there are some very beautiful ashrams that have been established as i've heard uh, in the western part of the country, primarily in the mountains of California, which itself, with all of its mountainous regions, is, is, is like a sanctuary itself. And so though we generally will choose a place like that to go and spend at least some of our time if we're really interested in making some spiritual advancement, as we have been in the past and we we really judge those on the basis of their beauty, their isolation, their peacefulness, and their cleanliness. And it's generally a place that you can go and find some shelter. Now, if you're really primitive, you can even find sometimes caves and mountains that are no longer occupied by human beings, uh, places that you can go and, and find shelter from the elements outside. And these places are usually pretty isolated, so um, they're they're chosen by some really rugged individuals uh, to, for, to be their place of residence for at least some portion of the year. Uh, we considered those kinds of places to go early on when we were seeking an alternative to the lifestyle that we were living, which involved going to college, getting a degree, going to work, earning money, buying a place in the suburbs, and and just beginning that routine of getting up every morning, going to the same office or to the same location, and dealing with the same people talking about the same old topics day after day. And and, uh, many people, such as I myself, uh, became uh, very much bored with this kind of lifestyle. And we just knew that there had to be something beyond that, something that something that we were we didn't have access to, something that we had read a little bit about in in other works of literature, like uh, Carlos Castaneda's um, uh, "A Yaki Way of Knowledge," uh, and then there was the book uh, autobiography of a yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda. And then there was the uh, the great American. Um, let's see, how did he? How was he called? Uh, Edgar Casey was his name, and uh, he he spoke about um, being able to communicate with uh, personalities in, in other realms from those which is available to us in our waking, in our regular waking consciousness. So we considered then that we might have to go out to a very isolated place like uh, in Carlos Castaneda's instance he he talks about going out into the middle of uh, the deserts of the southwestern part of the country and coming into contact with an old native american uh, person who considered who was considered to be a sorcerer and he talked about his his life that he spent, the time that he spent there, he was, a, Castaneda was a, a college graduate student working. And so he was interested in what became known as power plants, medicinal plants like peyote and mescaline, mescalito. And so he went looking for someone who could who could teach him about these things. And so, you know, we considered that and we thought, well, this, this is, that would really be a far out kind of experience to have. But we also found out that it was one that was very fearful. So even though Castaneda, a young man, uh, was, uh, he aligned himself with this old Yaqui Indian, uh, or Yaqui Native American, uh, he experienced some things that were very, very frightful and some things that could have been really dangerous to him, to his uh, to his uh, spiritual being. And so we thought it was impossible to adapt to those very isolated places, either because of the temperature or because of the shelter situation, uh, because of the uh, lack of food that was immediately available, or, or even for the lack of, of people that we were accustomed to being around. You know, some of us were thinking, well, I'd like to go into a situation like that, but I don't want to be completely isolated. I don't want to be by myself. And so we kind of accepted that it was impossible it was it, when we would read about these kinds of adventures by other people, even though we were, we were uh, taken away by them, still we saw that in this age that we're living in today, they were practically impossible for us to take part in. So we, we, we considered, well, it, this might be okay for someone else, but I've got a wife and I've got two children. I've got a third one on the way. I've got a job. I've got to, you know, provide food and shelter and, and automobile and all these things for my family. What's the possibility of doing it? So, you know, we kind of said, all right, I, we had to acquiesce to this is my situation in life. It's not going to be possible for me to choose these others. Anyhow, but they were fun to read about. We enjoyed it. But, but there was really much we could do about it. So we began to, uh, we had to learn what the true meaning of hermitage was. That, you know, hermitage is a place that you go and, and you can, you can act a, a pretty much like a monk, a renunciate monk. Um and Srila Vyasadeva, the personality that we're talking about today, uh, he had a very interesting birth. Uh, there was a great sage whose name was Parashar Muni. And so he came to a riverbank and wanted to cross. And this fisherman who lived nearby had a daughter who had come to him in a very strange way. She had actually been taken from the body of a fish. And there was another child with her, and there was a young man, a boy, uh, who was also taken from the body of this fish. Well, the fisherman gave the boy to his king, who was, I think, childless at that time. And the son was raised then in the king's kingdom. But the young woman, uh, even though she was a pretty girl, she had a, a really strong fishy odor. And it made it impossible then for her to find a suitable mate Someone that could marry her. So the fisherman, recognizing this, gave his daughter the duty of going, taking, uh, saintly persons from one side of the river to the other side. In other words, she would just take a small boat and go over to the, you know, over, over to the other side so that the saintly persons did not have to wade or swim the river. And this sage, Parasharamuni, had a particular responsibility that he had been given by the Supreme Lord and that was in the middle of the river he stopped the girl from rowing across the river and he by his mystic power he created a very dense fog and so in the middle of that river he requested her to please have union with him sexual union with him and uh, they did right in the middle of the river and there was a child immediately born from that sexual union, and not only was he immediately born, but he immediately grew into a, a, a young man. And then he was he was a very special personality. He immediately left that place and went off to join other persons for spiritual realization. And his name was Krishna dwipayan Vyasdev. And Dwipayan means one who is born in the on, on an island in the river, and so he told his mother. This is one of these very unusual circumstances that is mentioned in the Mahabharat, which is one of the epic poems of India. And the, uh, so this this person whom we came to know as Vyasadeva, he was actually uh, an empowered incarnation of the Supreme Lord. And he had a special mission to carry out for the Lord. And so he told his mother that any time you need me, you just think of me, you meditate me, and I will immediately come. Wherever I am, I will leave that place, and I will be beside you immediately. And so... Uh, uh He went then to as we understand, it went to the himalayas to or the himalayas uh to begin his life of meditation, but he also had a duty beyond that meditation, and that was as uh, mother uh, Jai Shuratate mentioned yesterday in her class that he gave birth to three sons. Uh, under some un- interesting circumstances also, all of which makes a very good story, but it's quite involved, so we won't go into it too much here. So at the same time, even though he was a renunciate, and he, he did not even take much mind to the condition of his body, still he lived up in the Himalayas, along with other saintly persons, and spent his life meditating. So this is an example of what can be done to find a place that one can meditate. But how many of us have the ability to do that? So unless one is very, very, very spiritually advanced, he should not even think about doing something like that. It's. I mean, it's difficult enough even for a, a young person to go up to uh, the upper reaches of the Ganga, the Ganges River, and uh, to a place like Rishikesh or Haridwar and attend a, a, sesh, a yogi session there, as my daughter-in-law has done uh, in about a year or so ago. And this was a very interesting experience. But of course, it's, she had a nice facility for. You know simple very simple facility but nice enough facility for uh, sleeping and for taking care of her body's needs and nice foodstuffs were prepared simple but nice foodstuffs and she learned a lot about the practice of yoga a type of yoga from that setting and brought that back with her and she's now she's now still living in town here with my son and she teaches uh, in a, a yoga class over in our local community school for the kids. She's a good teacher. So one has to find one's own practical place of refuge. And many people in the cities, and there are many people in the cities, that's what makes up the city, isn't it? A lot of people. But they have to find some place to go to get some refuge from their they're boring and frustrating and and uh, uh, very difficult daily lives, and so sometimes they're urban parks. I've got a son who lives in in Seattle, Washington, and there is a beautiful park in within the city limits of of uh, of uh, Seattle that he gets to he gets to walk through whenever he wants a short hike, and then of course there are mountains all around when he gets ready to go out for three or four days. And he can always he can always find some refuge there. so these the state parks and national forests, this country is replete with those things, but unfortunately, for a big metroplex area like Houston or Dallas, Chicago, New York, it's very difficult to find a place. New York, of course, has the Central Park, and that's that's an amazingly large and, and beautiful place uh, to go. And can be dangerous. It can be very dangerous, also. But these are places that a person can go and generally get a little bit of reprieve from the everyday lives that they have dealing with the city life. And so, uh, even places of worship, churches, syn- syn- synagogues, um, and mosques, and cathedrals—these are also places that uh, that people sometimes go especially at this time of year, which is very dear to persons from a Christian background, and, and they will sometimes go and just sit there in, in the cathedral or the church and just be quiet for some time. And it feels like a holy place to them. So they, this is a good way to find some, uh, some way to get away from all of the hubbub and the hustle. Of, of today's society, especially with the commercialization at this time of year. Even uh, some people don't have access to these things, or maybe they don't have time to go to them, so uh, they they end up designating some part of the house or the apartment complex that they live in uh, to, as a place that they can go and set up a little altar, maybe set up some pictures, or if they have little forms, uh, deity forms, that they would like to put on their altar. This is also something that can be done. And I think a lot of people who come to our temple here uh, who are not able to come during the day because they're they're busy getting kids ready to go to school, getting husbands or wives off to work, and it's not so easy to make it to the temple every, for the morning program every day. So sometimes they set up an altar in their own houses and that way they can that they have a place that is very special so that's like a designated area of the house that is is given respect and you don't you know they make sure that the place is clean and that there's no kind of frivolous activity in other words no radio no television in that room no uh, mundane literature lying around in there no foodstuffs left over from the previous day No bedding and stuff in there. That uh, you know, from a person staying there, these are usually rooms that are are specifically set aside for one's spiritual advancement. And then others then find that uh, it it really isn't so much a place for finding uh, you know uh, some solace or some quietness uh, as much as it is going within themselves. And so, some people find it convenient then to shut out all the externals of the city life, and they sometimes use uh, earphones or or, or uh, these little plugs that you put in your, or they use they use something to cover their eyes. Maybe they've got one of these um, these uh, masks that go over their eyes to cut out some light. In other words, they they remove their senses. Uh, from the objects that are all around them. One of the important things that they have found about this kind of meditation is that they not only have to choose a place, but they also have to choose a time of day in which there is not so much activity demanding their attention, the attention of their minds. Because our minds are always going here and there, thinking about what has to be done to maintain the house, to maintain the automobile, to maintain the family members, and and so it's very difficult a lot of times just to get away from that. So if they choose a time when everybody is generally asleep, then that that is a time, uh, assuming that they themselves have had enough sleep. And so, as devotees of Krishna, we're taught early on that the best time to perform any kind of of either spiritual or intellectual activity, is the early morning hours. And we're talking about two hours, three hours, even four hours before sunrise. So uh, th- this morning was an example of a time when I had to rise a little bit earlier than I usually do. So I was up at 3.30, getting ready to start my meditation on my japa beads, and uh, so I was able to start chanting my on my japa beads around 4.15, and then I chanted for about an hour before I had to put my beads down and start thinking about the class that I'm giving today, this, this discourse on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So this uh, it required then my choice of, of time. And in order to be able to get up uh, after five hours of sleep, then, you know, then I have to go to bed by 10 o'clock or so, maybe a little earlier if I can. So, in other words, if an activity, any activity for that matter, is really important to you, then you will plan ahead for it. And so many people plan their lives so that they can, they can, we've even had uh, individuals here in our community who would regularly go to bed by 8 o'clock. I could never do that. <laughs> the mind is still way too busy. But ten o'clock is kind of reasonable time for me to take rest. And if I can get five hours of sleep, then I can get up at three o'clock and feel refreshed. And I can get some. I can get some of my meditation done. And when I need to come to the temple for an opportunity like this to give a presentation on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Then that gives me also time to study, and then it's time for cleansing the body and putting on fresh clothes and coming over here to the temple. So um, choosing a time is just about as important then as choosing the space. So um, I've included the time, even though I've entitled our, our study for today, Choosing One Space, we also have to include in that choosing the time of day in which you're going to meditate. So uh, we found that getting privacy is a difficult thing to do, especially for family men, because we've always got the got our mates, whether it's husband or wife, girlfriend, boyfriend. We've got them that that are are going to eventually, you know, get up in the morning and they're going to start needing some of our time you know, to discuss something or they have to do something for us to help get us ready to go out and do whatever we're going to be doing. And so we need the privacy. They also need the privacy if they're going to have some spiritual life themselves. Sometimes you can even, if you have a space and you have a time, then you can invite certain persons to come and be with you at that time, but of course, you have to be very, very careful that those persons understand that this is not going to be a time to socialize. We're going to have we're in meditation, means that we're going to be either meditating uh, just on you know being silent and meditating, or as we do in this organization, we will meditate on our japa beads. Uh, a certain certain number of times each day usually it takes us between an hour and a half to two hours to do that Some people are very m- meticulous chanters so it takes them a little bit longer maybe two and a half three hours but whatever person has the time to do that is that the time is going to be one of the determining factors of how successful one is is in doing that meditation. So really, we what we like to do then is to follow the example of the person who brought this philosophy over to this country in 1965. And we have the Murti form of Srila Prabhupada in our temple room here uh, to help remind us of him and also to get his mercy because even though he is no longer physically present from, with us, uh, we understand that because he is a spiritual being that he can come into his deity form just as the Lord himself comes into the deity forms which are on the altar. So spirit soul can do that. And Lord Krishna has given us this recommendation that we take forms that are fashioned by someone who knows how to do that. And then, uh, when they when we bring them home, then or bring them to our temple, then we have some saintly person then uh, go through a ritual by which he invites the Lord to please come into this form and be present, so that you can accept our offerings of worship, our offerings of food stuff. You can accept our, our dressing your your uh, body in this in this deity form. So we're following Sheila Prabhupada's example. Also, Sheila Prabhupada is one of those persons who could, uh, who had trained himself to get by on very little sleep. And when I say it takes me five hours, that I still have to take a nap during the day because I'll get really tired. Of course, age has something to do with that. But Sheila Prabhupada was 70 years old when he came to this country. And yet he would go to bed, they say, around 10.30 at night, and he might sleep until midnight, an hour and a half, and then get up and begin uh, uh, translating, which was his one of his main assignments uh, in this lifetime, that he would translate the books from the original Sanskrit or the original Bengali into English and then give elaborate explanations verse by verse in these books. So it's an amazing undertaking that he could, he could get so little sleep and still get up and do very intellectual, academic-type work and still chant his rounds on his japa. So he had to have that meditation time, too. But getting up at midnight, that's a time when most people who are ordinary are asleep. From then until, you know, 4.35 in the morning, sometimes 6 or 7 or 8, depending on what a person's schedule is. Prabhupada slept very little, but he also advised his, his disciples. My own spiritual master, who was one of his disciples, he, he would advise them, he said, you can do this, but it takes practice. So using the hours that are normally intended for sleep to meditate is what some of us do. Instead of uh, sleep staying in bed until 7 or 8 o'clock, and I could do that now because I'm retired from working, but still I choose not to do that, stay in bed until late in the morning, because there are many other things that need to be done. And I find still that... Uh, the early morning hours are the best ones for performing any kind of activity that requires intelligence or requires quietness so that one can meditate. Even persons who are, are, are academics who have no inclination towards spiritual life, they recognize, too, that this is the best time for, like, writing a book or composing music, doing things that are, require a very keen intellect. And they know that in order to be successful, staring awake to do that kind of work, then they have to take rest earlier on in the night instead of doing like some of us do and staying up from 10 o'clock to 10 o'clock or 11 or 12. That doesn't work so well when you're trying to get up early in the morning. So our spiritual master has made the statement that the morning program begins the night before. That, that's going to help determine how successful you are. So, uh, sometimes we have to give up our private life for others. Now, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're trying to develop some spiritual consciousness for yourself. But nonetheless, this is what our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, has done. And he, and, and so, uh, just like Srila Vyasadeva, the one we talked about early on, he had a willingness to come down out of his mountain retreat whenever it was necessary and to do whatever it was his mother wanted him to do, including giving, uh, you know, having union with a, a princess, uh, even though he had no interest in that kind of life. He was a, he was a renunciate from the very beginning, and his unusual birth is is an indication that he's going to be someone who has no desires such as we have had in our in our material lives. So, uh, but anyhow, even though he was a renunciate, he stayed in the mountains meditating. He would come down whenever it was required for performing certain duties in society. And Śrīla Prabhupada did very much that too. In other words, he but he came to the United States instead of remaining in India and going into his retirement, or as we call it, samadhi, uh, going into samadhi early on, and you know, in the at the age of seventy, and just enjoying a nice peaceful life, meditation in meditation and reading and performing other acts of service in India. He came to this country, which is one of the most westernized countries in the world, one of the most industrial, commercial, uh, military countries in the world. And he came here because uh, he was instructed by his spiritual master, Shilabhakti Siddhanta. He said, we asked him early on back in the 1930s to uh, go preach uh, to the Western English-speaking public. And so he took that on, even though it was at the age of 70. Still, he made the arrangements, and he did that because that's what he was asked to do by his Guru Maharaj. So here's a person that gave up not only part of his waking hours, he gave up his entire life for helping young persons in America and then all across the world helping them to be, to come to an understanding what spiritual life is and how it is to be done. He gave us all the prescriptions that we needed, what we should eat, when how many times a day we should bathe, uh, the kinds of things that we should talk about with other people uh, to keep us from continuing on in our material lives that we were bound to continue if we had not had somebody come over and give us his special mercy like that. So we understand that Srila Prabhupada was also an empowered living entity or an empowered jiva, an empowered spirit soul who came into this material world for a very specific purpose. And that was to help people like us who were entrapped by this material energy of the Lord to get free of it and then to start on our paths back to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he believed in chanting early in the day and then spending the rest of the day performing some activity uh, that would help other people in their own spiritual lives. Because we found that a person who is a really spiritual personality is also a very compassionate personality. That's one who will actually give up some portion of his life uh, for the for the benefit of other people. And so Srila Prabhupada's his service, what he wanted to give people was knowledge of the Supreme Lord and knowledge about how to get back to that Supreme Lord, which is where he says we came from. And so in order to get back to our original home where we could actually be happy, and not have to continue taking repeated births again and again and again in this material world, and go through all the misery and suffering that living entities have to in this world, then we could, we could end all this cycle and then go back to the spiritual world. So that's what Prabhupada did, then he got up early and, and worked for uh, worked for other people, namely us. And so we're talking about sanctuaries and hermitages now, and that's, that's been one of the topics of today. Also, uh, we're talking about time of day that uh, one can actually be successful in performing spiritual or intellectual activities. And I happen to think of a poem that I heard many years ago, and it was by a person by the name of Richard Lovelace. Uh, I think he was a British poet, probably back in the 1500s. And he wrote a poem that was entitled To Althea from Prison. So, here's a man who's, who's, it, you know, he's taking the, uh, the voice of a person who is in prison and is writing to his beloved. And it, the poem consists of about five or six stanzas. But the last one is very appropriate, I think, for uh, this topic that we're talking about today, Mother Nandini. Hare Krishna. And I'm, so I wanted, to, I wanted to read just this last stanza and let you hear it. This is Richard Lovelace, re, uh, who has is, who is written to Althea from prison. Stone walls do not a prison make. Now, how many times have you heard that? You heard that before? All right, for some of us who are older, you know, we were taught this uh, by our high school English teachers. So it begins, Stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Minds innocent and quiet, take that for an hermitage. If I have freedom in my love and in my soul am free, Angels alone that soar above enjoy such liberty. You can find that at poets.org on the internet. And it's a very, very nice thing. And, you know, I have to give so much credit to my high school English teacher who introduced uh, our class to a lot of some of the most beautiful poetry, including the sonnets written by uh, William Shakespeare. So to Althea from prison. So this this speaks about how uh, the, even if a person is in prison that uh, still uh, he can have he can he can take that as his hermitage or his place of quiet, introspective, um, meditative experience, and and so at, in in the present day we're not in prison. And we're not off in some foreign country. Uh, we're here, at home at home in America, and yet uh, many of us find ourselves to be a little discontent still with some of the activities that we have to do. And we we're looking for some type of life that is is beyond the perception of our senses. And so uh, we would advise everyone to please. Especially read this first part of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's called Canto Number 1 of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And read it and take the advice and transform your life into something that when you get to be into your 50s, 60s, 70s, or at any time during life, um, it, when you go knocking, you'll find somebody there. So uh, we ask everyone to please spend some portion of your day reading Srila Prabhupada's books. Mother Mother Daisri yesterday said that she's she's spending 15 minutes a day reading and then another hour listening to uh, uh, recorded lectures on this literature. And that's that's how she gets her spiritual en- enthusiasm enthusiasm and her spiritual strength for the day. Uh, the other thing that we, the other thing that we practice is the chanting for about two hours a day on our japa beads, the Hare Krishna mantra, which is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna. So we'll end here now and see if, see if there are any questions by anyone or any comments that anyone would like to make before we close it up for today. Arnold, is it, do you have anything? My pleasure. Now, now you can have about ten thousand people listening to you if, if, if our microphone is going to work. Ooh, wow. <laughs> is, is it on? at you that to go into Hello,
2: hello. Yep.
0: I can't. I can't hear it. Hello. It's kind of slow. Maybe so. I want you to wait on before you speak so that everybody can hear you because otherwise they will just be hearing me responding to you. Hello. Okay, there we go. There it is. Alright, Arnold, please.
2: Thank you so much. Hare right, Krishna. Uh, where do I start? <laughs> yeah, um, I've always been trying to find the place to to meditate, and I'm always saying the same. I've, I've started meditating since I was 10 years old, just because to try and then studying the religions. And now I ended up here. Uh, because is this
0: your first time to come to this temple? This is
2: like my eighth or tenth time.
0: Oh, you've come that many times? Yeah, okay.
2: I've been coming. Uh, uh, I've been out of Dallas for one month and a half, maybe. That's why I couldn't come, and I miss here.
0: <laughs> Good.
2: So, yeah. Are, you, are t- you
0: going to the Wednesday night sessions over here across the street?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I went there once on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, it's really nice.
0: That's a good place. Also, our our our, our uh, one of our devotees there, Nitinanda Chandra. You might know him oh, as Chandra. Chandra. Yeah. Um, he he is a he's a really good person to answer questions because he's very knowledgeable of the literatures and of the process of Krishna consciousness.
2: Yeah. yeah but go
0: ahead. With what what kind? Yeah. Of, yeah.
2: So. Finally, one of those places that I found was here to meditate because it's uh, quiet and it's a temple and it's sacred. So I was trying to find that place, Finally, I found it. In the beginning, my family is Catholic. Okay. So I grew up like that way, and I didn't find the place over there. I mm-hmm. didn't feel it. So yeah. it was I think it's too high. Everything they try to hide, too much information. Here is here. It's everything there. Vedic and Sanskrit and you have everything from the root and just, you can read it and you can hear it and you can feel all the truth so that's something that really makes me feel like this temple is really a temple where I can find a place to meditate close my eyes and be there so yeah and uh, sometimes I close it <laughs> I have it in my house but this is a special place because when I come here, all my people around me, that is, is too much energy, materialistic energy over there. Yeah. Where
0: Sometimes I you have to get away.
2: Yeah, it's too much. So they, they don't realize the spiritual side. They mm-hmm. try, but it's not this way. So... This is a way to insulate myself and they respect this time when I'm alone and when I'm here they don't call me they don't text me anything so my mind is free about any kind of worry when I'm here so this is really a place where I love to be mm. because that
0: and I like your use of the word insulate rather than isolate. Yeah. Insulate means that you still have touch with what is outside. You're not you're not removing yourself from all of that, not permanently, but just temporarily. So that you can it's kinda of like putting your batteries on the charger.
2: Yeah. And I learned that in with the meditation that you need to be insulated somehow because is uh it's some I don't know why but it's the way you get that connection. Uh, the real connection when you're alone is when no one is seeing you or you're not or you think you're no one is seeing you so it's like it's the only way to make your body disappear because it's the way you get that i mean it's the way i'm getting it so yeah this is an amazing place i would like some one day go to one of these places and learn from someone or i don't know I'm very new on all of this, so I'm just creating. Everything. Take
0: you, take your time. Take your yeah. time. Just examine this. If you find what you need here, then there are people who can all, who are very happy to talk with you and help you along, and you know answer your questions as time goes by. Yeah. Um, and and if you'd like, after we get we're done here, I can uh, also give you my telephone number that you can call me. And uh, if you have questions, or text, texting is is good for me also. There's times I cannot answer my phone. But uh, we we do have to we have to have some time away from all of our daily cares and responsibilities. We have to have some time to ourselves, uh, because unless we are are well along the path of Krishna consciousness. We really can't help someone else in their spiritual lives. It really requires that, we, because we cannot raise anybody to a level higher than our own. And if we're still at a pretty low level in our development of of God consciousness or Krishna consciousness, then it's very difficult for us to help another person who has some problems because maybe we don't know how to deal with the kind of problem they have. But, you know, when you're in the association of persons who are advanced on the path of spiritual realization, then those persons are very happy to share what they have with you. And so this is a good place to, to you know, to find that kind of help. It's kind of a refuge from everything that's going on outside these walls. Not to say that you can't go back out there now, as as most of us have to do. We have to go back out there. We have to earn a living. We have to take care of family members and, you know, do our responsibilities. And and everybody's expected to do that. But some still, at some time during the day, we need to come back in where we can kind of get some relief or respite On what goes on out there, and then we can that way we can become more empowered ourselves, and we're able to help other people when we have that kind of empowerment. Yeah, yeah. the the,
2: the other place that I found for meditating is uh, when I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep meditating too. And it's, uh, and and I think that's one of the things that helped me to. To kind of improve the meditation, to now go sleep thinking about anything, just thinking about God, Krishna, and just go sleep in the meditation. That's been helping me a lot too.
0: That's good. Well, you've already found some answers, and and there are lots more answers available to you if you just you know if you make yourself available to other people who will have that kind of knowledge. I'm glad that you're on this path. Thank you. Would Could you, you say, mind would you mind yeah. giving the microphone This this lady Arnold is mother Nandini
3: My name's Nandini Nice to know you I I just I had a question for you and I wondered if um, sometime uh in your young life you've gone to like a concert or music okay.
0: Can you speak into the microphone Mm -hmm. also, Arnold?
2: I haven't been... I've been in concerts, but maybe like Polanka and...
3: Okay. Okay. And so that that, that, um, music has an effect on your consciousness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Makes you... Give you a certain type of feeling when you hear whatever jazz or whatever. So... I remember uh, a very uh, advanced devotee. He's, he was with, actually, Srila Prabhupada when he left, departed in Vrindavan. And his name is Jayadweta Swami. And he wrote something that struck me. I w- lived in Puerto Rico for uh, 11 years. I had a vegetarian restaurant there and uh, I printed something in English and Spanish about the power of sound vibration. And one of the first things that he mentioned was, you know, if you want to see the effect of sound on the consciousness, just go to any concert and you see people, you know, impacted by sound. So Prabhupada has also given an example that if someone is you know breaking into our home and we're sleeping we might the only way we might be saved is through hearing so that en- that energy that uh, that powerful effect on the consciousness of sound you know a lot of devotees i remember when i was living in puerto rico would sit and chant this oh and practically every Sanskrit verse begins with that omkara, the sound vibration emanating from the Lord. So it's powerful. Yeah. Hare Krishna. Nice. Uh,
2: can I add something a little? Uh, actually, from the same uh, thing is uh, I came here to this temple because uh, I've been, the, two years ago, I started practicing being vegan. No, with any intention, just to try and not to talk because just talking, and didn't work. Just I tried for two weeks, <laughs> so I became yeah, so I became pescetarian, and then now lately, lately I've been vegetarian. So when I was trying, well, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is. Uh, I started a long time ago, five years ago stars stop radios, TVs and everything. I started just listening the music that I want. One of these music came one year ago and was uh, Krishna music and I just got it on the radio and kind of hit me inside in my conscience and the sound so I didn't know nothing absolutely nothing about Hinduism. Krishna and I just I just knew about all of this culture about a lot of colors okay. and that's it and uh, yeah so with the time I start kind of like it and then as I delete almost all kind of music that I used to listen and not even knowing what it was about, I just started listening Krishna music and then uh, trying to find a vegetarian place, I found this place and then I found this place here, and then found in this place here, the temple, I found that the music I've been hearing is the same music, oh, the Krishna good. music. So right now I'm just listening Krishna music.
3: So um, on uh, starting on December 28th for the New Year's weekend, there if you want to hear some really powerful sound... There's something called Kirtan 50 happening in this temple, and there are Kirtaniers coming, beautiful chanters, amazing singers that chant like that lift, and the whole room is full, so everyone is responding back, you know? So it's, it's the 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, and um uh, and then, the, and then January 1st, I think, part of the day. So in any of those times, if you can kind of sneak in here, um, I think you would really find, yeah, Hare Krishna.
0: All right. Is there anything else that anyone would like to bring up at this point? All right. So it's getting late. Uh, we, uh, we will invite you to please... Arnold, if you wish, you can come out to where we uh, have breakfast together and uh, have some breakfast with us, please. Okay, so every one of you who is listening in, we thank you also for your presence with us today. And we sincerely hope that uh, whatever we've spoken about regarding the Srimad Bhagavatam will be uh, helpful to you in your spiritual life today. We encourage you to spend some time reading, and please also, most importantly, spend some time chanting the holy names of the Lord. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So we say, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Shimut Bhagavatam ki Jai. Shi Shi Radha Jidam ki Jai. And to all of you who are listening in, we offer you our respectful obeisances because you're devotees of the Lord. You fulfill the desires of everyone and you're full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Banchakal patarubhis jai kripasanubhya patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavibhyo namo ki Jai. Everyone please go out, have a good day, be successful and chant the holy name. Hare Krishna.